8: Scalpel. Tweezers. Tweezers. Ham sandwich. Ham what? Sandwich. I was going to eat lunch when I got my oil changed earlier, but Take-5 is so fast I didn't have
3: time. But sir, you can't eat during surgery. Eh, one bite won't hurt. Whoops. Uh, Napkin.
9: Napkin!
3: At Take-5, your oil change is
6: faster than you think. Take-5, the stay-in-your-car 10-minute oil change.
2: This is Clayton Harris, and you're listening to 101.7 WKOM Columbia.
9: All right, I got my, get, get my mind on something else here today, like our Tennessee Volunteers. TGMD in the house. I, if you've been watching the news, you'll see what I've been kind of consumed with, which is my, and I was telling my Twitter Spaces people this last week, but this fugitive that got out of Chester County Jail, it's like the number one story on all the uh, all the national news networks now. But uh, as we welcome you to a Tuesday edition of your Tony Basilio show, this thing that's going on in Chester County and that's my that's where I grew up. And um, this guy literally, like last week, he's killed a couple people. He got out of jail. You you've seen the video by now. He's the guy that pushed himself out of jail, pushed himself up. Whatever they call that that walking, there's like a French word for it, Matt, where you step on furniture every step you take. Parquois, I think is what they call it. He used like a parquois method to escape out of jail. And then the Keystone cops are up there chasing him around. And Matt Dixon, you and I are both kind of uh, true crime people. Where do you put this one, Matt, in terms of just uh, the... Weirdness of it, the craziness of it. Somebody shot at this guy seven times last night in a garage and missed him. This guy's on the loose. This guy's terrorizing people.
8: Two two weeks on the run, and they basically spot him once or twice every day, and he somehow gets out of their perimeter. I don't know. It's crazy. really nuts.
9: It's nuts. They're, I mean, Longwood Gardens is literally where I grew up. Those of you who have been there have looked it up. You can look that up. But as a kid, I used to go in there and, I mean, we'd steal money out of the fountains as kids, you know, things you do as kids. And this guy has been loose for two weeks. So last night I'm following this guy named J.R.L., and there's some other people, you know, like they get into that space and that true crime. They go from city to city and they follow these things. And this one guy had the police scanner on last night. This is my life right now. So I'm getting a good night's sleep, you know, and I'm over there just kind of snoozing away. And I heard that police scanner, Matt, at 1.30 a.m. say, confirm, seven shots fired. And I popped up out of bed like, what is wrong? And Laura goes, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? But this guy's like, terrorizing where I'm from. He's terrorizing that place. They need to get that guy. It's one thing. It, it sounds sound-
10: like. Uh, Go ahead. You know, it sounds like uh, duly Special Teams. type a punt returner in Arkansas. So,
9: 865-200-5402. Kevin Brockway is going to join us coming up, and we're going to talk with him. Matt, I've drilled down on uh, what's going on behind the scenes with the club. What do you make of, Matt, two, two games into the season having a players-only meeting? Good sign, bad sign, or somewhere in the middle sign? I don't even know what to make. I've never heard of that.
8: Um, I mean, it, p- probably somewhere in the meeting, in the middle, it's kind of a little alarming, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you have a game against, you know, one of these by opponents that you just overlook and, you know, you don't take serious, you know, whatever, every team does it. But that doesn't warrant a players-only meeting unless there's, I think, bigger issues brewing or, or potentially, uh, are potentially are potentially there, you know, if, if you were to lose a game or two, you know, over the next month. So I... Maybe maybe you're just being proactive about it, but I'm, I'm not sure that that's a, a great sign to have a, a players-only meeting after a win, um, e- even though you were kind of lifeless and, and yeah. just kind of went through the motions.
9: Now, those that called Garza Law fifth-quarter fan reaction and got on me for the way we were reacting to a win, do you, do you now call back and apologize since the players had a players-only meeting after a win? I like Matt, the people that call and go, it's a win. It's a what? That's a win? I mean, sometimes uh, ties back in the day used to feel like wins. Sometimes it felt like losses. That was a win that felt like a loss, if there is such a thing. I didn't know there could be such a thing, Matt. But well, you know, these 1AA football you know, uh, games are what they are.
10: One good thing is the team will be a little bit humbled, I think, going into Florida. They won't have to be on cloud nine and have to, uh, you know, that's, that's one good thing about it, I well, think.
9: One thing I talked about in the blog today, which is happening, is the wide receivers are bickering about the quarterback play. Wide receivers want those numbers. Heupel wants those numbers. We, we had a uh, tclub.team today. I went deep into the numbers last night. Matt, I don't think Josh Heupel signs up for being 97th in, the, in America in EPA passing. Do you? Do you think that was uh, what he signed up for this year when he put his offense together? Uh, no, not no, not not that far down, no. no. Now, the rushing numbers are very good. They're way up there in rushing. I'm trying not to overreact to it because it's two games, but the problem is it's two games and it's Joe Milton's career. Isn't that the problem, Matt? I mean, that's the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm pointing out something here that's kind of the truth. It, it's it's two games, plus it's his career. That's what we're talking about, which is what yeah, I was he, getting at he, all he summer. He is who he is at this point. Yeah, which is what I was getting at all summer. Everybody was like, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. I'm like, how about if we just have good quarterback play? Why don't we just start there? What do you think, Matt, of the uh, – he's going to be a first-round pick and the Heisman Trophy winner? I mean, Josh Hypel's magical. He ain't that magical. But he's pretty magical. He's pretty good.
8: Oh, he's great. I I mean I don't I don't know where that stuff came from. I I certainly wouldn't put any validity to it, so I I mean that's just coming from, from outside noise you probably need to ignore.
9: So we have I mean I don't
8: know who would have that take I mean that's I mean be realistic.
9: That's all. We, and it's not, and it, again, what I was saying in the offseason is it's not fair to the kids. It's not fair to this club. It's not fair to anybody. That kind of stuff. That's just where I was on any of this. So we're going to visit with Kevin Brockaway, Gainesville Sun coming up. Who do you think Matt feels better about their club coming into this game? The Vols are Gators. Because both teams, like a lot of clubs in this uh, conference right now, both teams have a lot of questions, I would think, at this point. Who feels better? Vols just had a players-only meeting. Uh, I think Tennessee's team and
8: coaches probably feel better than Florida's, but Florida's fans probably feel better mainly because of of the jerseys uh, uh, and the the series history, but um, I don't know. It's, I think there's a. I'm not really sure there'd be anything that would surprise me on Saturday, uh, result-wise. You know, most you know most games you can you have a pretty decent idea of how the game can, will play out. You know, every you know things can happen that it get takes it. You know, maybe the 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 spread or the point differential. You know, gets out of. Out of hand, but you have for the most part, you kind of know what you're going to see, and I'm not really sure anybody has an idea of what what we're going to see Saturday.
9: I think that's really well put, and the thing about college football I love is that just when you think you have the answers, it constantly changes questions on you, especially when you're in the mix of teams like the Tennessees in the mix of, which is pretty good teams. The Vols are pretty good to very good right now, and depending on the day depending on the quarterback play, the line play, the level of want-to, whatever that is, however you want to quantify that, they fall somewhere in that, in that spectrum. Florida is probably a good-to-average football team. But Matt's right. Tennessee certainly has it within them to play down the Florida's level. Now, the one good thing, Matt, about Milton is he hasn't turned a ball over except for one fumble at all in his Tennessee career in fact he hasn't even come close to turning a ball over has he interception wise he just doesn't throw balls up for grabs that is the one good thing about him
8: no that and that's well that's just Heupel's offense I, I think that's a credit to the coach I, he threw one or two in the coverage against Virginia but for the most part no his mistakes aren't catastrophic they don't you know you don't give a team a short field or anything like that which, I put more on, on the on the coaching and, and the scheme than, than the player themselves, not to take it away from them. But that's a really important factor that I don't think gets talked about enough. You know, just not turning the ball over is still a really good trait for quarterbacks to have, even if it's kind of built into the offense.
9: No doubt about it. And that's why you can kind of live with a guy like him a little bit. Because, look, when I play Florida, as long as I don't turn a ball over three or four times, I should be in pretty good condition against them. Now, to Matt's oh, really point, against anybody. Well, against anybody. To Matt's point, though. Well, I give you an instant. I give you an example. The other night, Alabama was about to get really in that Texas game, and that Milrow guy threw one of the worst turn, uh, interceptions you'll ever see in that third quarter. Which really, the game was never the same after that. And you just haven't seen Milton do that. Now, Tennessee's offense is pretty unconventional. The way the ball comes out as quickly as it does, all that stuff. We're going to continue on the other side. I want to hear from you. 865-200-5402 is our number. I am going to get, though, first factual and furiously, Kevin Brockway with the Gainesville Sun in the mix and in the hunt with us. And we're going to do that. And I want to preview this Florida uh, team because... Tennessee's got questions. Tennessee had a players-only meeting after a week two game. Good sign, bad sign. I'm going to ask you that later on. Good sign, bad sign. Somewhere in the middle sign. I'm kind of with Matt. I think that's kind of strange. I think that's a little on the... uh, That's a little alarming, actually. It means there's bickering already which lines up with what I'm hearing, which is that the wide receivers are already finger-pointing because they want their numbers. And Josh Heupel wants his numbers. So Tennessee really needs a good performance out of Joe Milton. Just a good performance. Not a great. I didn't say great. They just need a good, solid, like an Orange Bowl game out of him. Just a good, solid performance, which the Orange Bowl, y'all – said was a great performance and it was a good performance. I took a lot of heat in the offseason for that but I never wavered. I don't waver in the face of that. I, I have my opinion. I'm a takesman. I'm not afraid to take a take. To have a take and don't suck. Although that's, uh, that's one person's opinion of himself. As we take a brief time out and come back after this. <laughs> This is
11: Terry Wilcox, a.k.a. The Chicken Man, a.k.a. t Willy, and you're listening to
6: 101.7 FM, WKOM, Columbia, Tennessee.
2: Alert! Alert!
5: Automobile Keys is a local, family-owned and operated car key programming business. Whether you need a smart key, switchblade key, key fob, transponder key, or just a basic car key replacement, we're your best choice for affordable, programmable replacement keys in minutes. Give us a call at 615-878-9087 or visit our website at automobilekeys.com. You can email us at cody at automobilekeys.com. Automobile Keys is a proud sponsor of Whitthorn Middle School Football. Come by our van out front after the game and say hello. Go Tigers!
3: You'll have to see it to believe it. Whoever said that must have been talking about Talladega. It's a place where chaos mixes with speed. And a playoffs weekend becomes a lifetime of memories. It's a tradition like no other. At a track like no other. And after it's all over, you still won't believe it ever happened. NASCAR playoffs weekend at Talladega, September 30th through October 1st. Get your tickets now at talladegasuperspeedway.com. Is Jim Ross, and you are listening to Front Porch Radio WKOM
2: 101.7, located in Columbia, Tennessee.
9: He'll be back with you on your Tuesday race fans, race fans, race fans, race fans, race fans. Um, Kevin Brockway now joining, who's a little bit country and a little bit rock and roll. Kev's originally from the Long Island <laughs> area up in New York, and uh, Kev happens to be a big Jets fan. Are you a Mets fan, too, Kev? Yeah, I'm a Mets and a Jets fan. Really? Born in Queens, so. Yeah. Really good sports here for you so far. Um, well, you got, <laughs> listen, from your $150 million expenditure in the quarterback, you got a series out of him last night or a couple plays. I mean, how, curts, how cursed are the Jets, really? How cursed?
13: I, I was thinking back to 1999 with Vinny Testaverdi when he tore his Achilles also, and this, this appears to be the same injury, I mean. He's getting an MRI today, but all accounts are that uh, that's that's what happened. So uh, we're gonna have to ride and die with Zach Wilson, I guess, unless we get a better
12: quarterback.
9: And I was telling you off the air that I've always sort of had a soft spot in my um, in my heart for Jets fans. After the when they used to have the draft at the old, I think it was the Waldorf back in the when Mel Kiper had hair and Chris Berman was doing his thing and Tom Jackson was on there, and they went to some Jets fan. And they drafted Jeff Loggeman in the first round. And I used to do a radio bit on the air because this guy goes, Jeff Loggeman, we just took Jeff Loggeman. What is a Jeff Loggeman? And it's those guys that had the jets going through their head. Remember the guys used to have the the jet thing, like the hat with the jet on it, and the guy yeah. screaming his best Jeff Loggeman in his New York accent. But, uh, man, I'll tell you, that's, uh, that's, not, that's not a, a um, watching – Florida offensively operate, or watching Zach Wilson on the NFL level. What uh, what does you better?
13: <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, the way uh, Billy Napier's offense looked against uh, Utah, but um, at least you could say that Billy Napier's offense, um, you know, made some positive strides against McNeese State. They they ran the ball better, uh, and obviously against an overmatched FCS opponent, they got uh, a little bit of confidence back. So uh, I think going into I think going into this game against Tennessee, um, they feel like back home they can, they can maybe move the ball a little bit. We'll
9: see. Uh, it's kind of interesting, though, when we peel this thing back and look at it, because Matt Dixon, who's on here with us, who will chime in in a second, he just made a pretty interesting statement, which is there really isn't a result that could happen Saturday that's going to be really surprising in this game. This is truly one of those anything can happen games. Like here, it's been uh, reported that Tennessee, after a win—rather, uh, ho hum win—and a little bit of—I uh, don't want to say dissension, but a little bit of uh, bickering amongst the teammates—had a players-only meeting while they're two and zero on the year. You've covered a lot of football. You ever heard of that? Because I haven't.
13: Yeah, you know, maybe, uh, you know, depending on, you know, how, how you play, cause they certainly didn't play a crisp game, right, against Austin Peay. So I, I think that that's, um, I think that's a sign of a team that feels a sense of urgency this season for Tennessee's perspective, because, you know, you're coming off an 11-2 season and, um, you know, fans want to see progress, right? And how much progress can you make from 11 to 2, 11 to 2? And when you have a kind of, Game like that, you start to get concerned going into SEC play. Like, really, now, now obviously they dominated Virginia and Nashville. They look great. Um, but I guess they kind of took a little step back a little bit. So I could see why they had to the keep meeting because they want to get back to playing Chris fo- football. And they really feel like, you know, and this is something I wrote about today. This is the last year of the SEC East, right? Last year of the SEC East race. And really, I mean, to me, it's them in Georgia, right? 1 2. And to get to Georgia's level, uh, they're going to have to play a lot better um and certainly it'll begin in you know to, to go into the swamp and to get our first win uh there again since 2003 you know don't forget florida's one nine in a row against tennessee at the swamp uh certainly would do a lot for their confidence but i guess to do that they're going to have to play a, a lot crisper of a game than they did last game
9: yeah one of my questions is when i when i look at florida and you think about the game in florida field uh saturday you were talking about it before and i don't know what we take away from these kicking scrimmages because when you Perform the way Florida did against a one double A opponent, you say, Oh, well, that's supposed to happen. And when you perform the way Tennessee did, you go, Oh, whoa, boy, there's a lot to be worried about here. What do we know about Florida that we didn't in the preseason? What, what questions have been answered, and what questions remain as we walk into this game?
13: Well, I think the big question remains the offensive line, right? I'm watching Osiris Torrance last night start for the Buffalo Bills as a rookie. And that kind of tells me that, you know, all Americans don't grow on trees, right? And he was Florida's first All-American all on the offensive line since 2009. So you get Kingsley Gawkin back this week, starting center. That's going to be a big help, I think. Um, but that area is still a, a major area of concern, uh, keeping Graham Mertz upright. And, and as you know, uh, Tennessee, you know, certainly can get a lot of pressure from the four-man rush. So that's going to be huge. That line of scrimmage matchup is going to be, uh, you know, a, a, a huge, I think, uh, the determining factor in this game. You know, can, can Florida's offensive line hold up and, and protect Graham Mertz and keep Graham Mertz upright? Because, you know, we saw that in the Utah game, too. Mertz is a guy, he's not Anthony Richardson. You know, you get a little heat on him, and um, he's going to go down. I mean, he's not he's not the escapability guy uh, that Anthony Richardson is. Very few are, so um, I think that's going to be key. And, you know, you, you might see a lot of three-step drops the quick throws from Mertz. I mean, Mertz has been... Uh, tremendously accurate early in the season, um, but uh, you know he, he's averaging about ten a completion. He did have the one deep ball against you know McNeese State, the fifty yarder. But I think the, the jury remains out on if he can do that consistently. If he can stretch a defense, so I think that's uh, going to be interesting. You know, to bear watching as, as well in terms of uh, you know I think the first step is is keeping merch clean in the pocket.
9: It's pretty interesting, Matt Dixon, and I bring you in here. That kind of describes Tennessee's offense a little bit so far. Not a lot of hits downfield, playing without their center uh, thus far, Um, and a quarterback in Joe Milton that looks like he would be a runner but doesn't like to run when things break down. Um, It's interesting how there's a, a little bit of mirror going on. Matt Dixon, I bring you in here. Kevin Brockway joining us. Kevin, kind enough to take a few for us. He with the Gainesville Sun. Go ahead, Matt. Jump in here. Yeah,
8: I was just just wondering about the the Florida running game because it felt like they abandoned that earlier than they should have in that Utah game, um, and I haven't had a chance to watch their game with Minne M- State. But where do they? Where does Florida feel like their running game is? Because that was definitely a strength last year. Yeah,
13: and you know it's interesting because they lost Cam Carroll, the transfer from Tulane, with a torn ACL. Um, well, I'll tell you, this freshman, Trayon Webb, looks pretty good. 14 carries for 71 yards. Now, granted, it's against nice, But, uh, you know, he, he looks pretty good in terms of, uh, being a third guy behind Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne, who I think are two talented guys. And I agree. I think that's the strength. That's the bread and butter. You got to establish a run. But again, it goes back to the offensive line, too. And a guy like Torrance, who's a terrific run blocker. And the threat of Anthony Richardson to take off, I think, helped the running game immensely last year, too, and that's why they averaged 5.5 per carry. And uh, certainly when you looked at uh, the Utah game, if you take away the sacks, even, they were still only at about 3.1 per carry. Um, this game against McNeese, 6.4 yards, and they really established a run uh, in that game. But um, Tennessee's uh, defensive front is going to be a lot different than McNeese. It's going to be more like Utah. So I think that's a big question, too, with the offensive line kick. Can- Can you open the holes, uh, to, 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 you know, for, for Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne to run through and, and can they do their thing as well? And, and can Billy, you know, find a good balance also and, and you, you know, just Tennessee going to the game, hey, look, we're going to take away the run and we're going to make Merch beat you. I think that's kind of what Utah did and Merch was able to move the ball, but they self-destructed in the red zone in that game. So. Um, I I think there are a lot of variables that go into it, but I I think at heart they do want to be a power-running
9: team. Giving that Utah game a second look, and really that's Florida's – really, of the two teams, Florida's played a game, and Tennessee kind of hasn't, no offense to Virginia, a a game of consequence. You know, that Utah team the other day held Baylor to eight yards in the fourth quarter. That Utah team uh, is very good on defense, and – Florida, it, it's it's really interesting to me that um, Utah's lone touchdown in the second half, though, occurred when, and they had trouble with Baylor the other day. They, they couldn't do anything with Baylor, but their lone touchdown occurred on that rather short field. I just wonder, from your perspective, if uh, Florida had to do that game over, if it could look differently. Because it looks to me like that was... Um, that was a really strange game to lose, looking back on it.
13: You know, you know, Don't forget defense, Florida gave up that big play early. I think that mm-hmm. rattled the defense a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it carried over the rest of the half. But if you look at the second half of that Utah game, they only gave up seven points um, and um, on a short field off a turnover. And McNeese State, they pretty much pitched a shutout. Other than that fumble at the end of the game, they would have had their first shutout since Fannie in 2021. And I uh, gave up the fewest yards in a game since 2016. So I do think Austin Armstrong is doing some good things with this defense. They're rotating in a lot of guys, a lot of young guys uh, that are making an impact right away. Jordan Castell, a true freshman, is starting at safety. Um, and um, you're, you're seeing Kelby Collins. You're seeing T.J. Searcy. You're seeing a lot of true freshmen take the field uh, without much of a drop-off, which I, I thought was, was encouraging in the second half for Florida that uh, – they were able to get that many guys into the game and that many guys with experience on the defense, but five of 23 on third down, they've been, you know, drastically improved on third down so far in Austin Armstrong, but, um, no takeaways in two games and only two sacks. So they're not making the big plays, but they're playing uh, a very disciplined brand of defense, uh, where they're getting teams off the field on third down. And obviously, you know, it, it's going to be a different animal offensively with, you know, Josh Heupel and, and their tempo, but, uh, I think Florida has some guys that they can rotate in and keep pressure at the game, and this is a big game for Austin Armstrong. I think you know just to kind of show uh, that uh, he's for real as a defensive coordinator, and definitely an upgrade over Patrick Jones.
9: Kevin Brockway joining us. Matt Dixon, jump back in here. Go ahead, man.
8: Yeah. No. You you mentioned that the new DC is. Has he been as aggressive? Um, here early in the season, as, as he was last year. I think it was at Southern Miss where they were, I think they blitzed about as much as anybody. Has, has he been that aggressive uh, so far through two games at Florida?
13: Yeah, I wouldn't say he's blitzed every play, but he's brought pressure at times. You know, they run that, they do run a similar street scheme to Tony, and they, they run that kind of creeper defense, that Dave Aranda defense that so you go back to Rex Ryan, where they kind of bring guys from different spots to try to, you know, confuse and, and throw the protection off. You're seeing a lot of that. Um, Scooby Williams, um, a linebacker, had a a really nice sack on a on a rollout, and um, Prince Melian, you know, finally got a sack this season. But I haven't seen like you know the the full house blitzes uh, necessarily, but I have seen you know obviously some simulated pressures where they're they're bringing guys from different spots and you know trying to throw the quarterbacks off.
9: You talked about the kids playing before and the and the s- safety. Uh, the freshman that's playing there, which has to be red meat to Josh Heupel, but he's red meat if you can get good quarterback play. And Joe Milton so far, I mean, throwing the ball against air the other night, which no offense to Austin P, but plays were wide open in the middle of the field and they just couldn't complete them. Um, How big of a concern is it, though, that Tennessee turns that freshman – Inside out makes a couple big plays because, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't Utah do that early in the game? They had a bus back there, or was that not that kid's fault?
13: Yeah, yeah, you know, ironically, it was the veteran RJ Mohan, transferred from Michigan, uh, was the one that got caught kind of flat footed on that play. He and Jason Marshall, uh, who's the old SEC corner, uh, you know, couldn't quite keep that contained. But yeah, I mean, Miguel Mitchell back there, too, is another guy that's a first year starter, but I think they. What they like about Castell and Mitchell compared to last year is they do have speed back there. They can kind of go sideline to sideline and, and pick up guys. Uh, so I think they feel confident from that standpoint. But they they are still two you know Billy Napier said in the beginning of the season two position groups he was most concerned about safety and tight end. And uh, I think that's kind of proven to be the case. Uh, Jason Odom has been pretty solid as a tight end early the season. And Graham Merckx is getting the ball a little bit, but he's not a... Obviously explosive receiver tight end. He's just kind of a possession guy. But, uh, the safeties, yeah, I know you know, there's definitely still a lot of youth and inexperience back there. Um, and, uh, I think that's going to be something, uh, that's going to be worth bearing watching. If, if, you know, if Joe Milton is on and Tennessee gets that passing game going, uh, very much like last year you saw with the trading Dean coverage bust, you can, you know, that, you know, that's going to be the key back there too is the communication, I think. And I think that, you know, that big play, uh, against Utah was as much a communication
9: breakdown as anything else. Shout out to uh, Jordan Moore on Twitter. He, he writes that in the history of Tennessee versus Florida rivalry, a ranked Tennessee team has played unranked Florida five times. Tennessee 5-0 and oh in those games. Two of those wins were in Gainesville. Tennessee ranked 11th, Florida unranked coming into the weekend. Brian Hartman, you've got a question for Kevin Brockway. Hit it.
10: Yeah, how does Florida look when they try to cover the tight end? Have you seen, how do you, Tennessee probably has two tight ends that could be weapons in this game, and McCastles and, and, and a Warren. And what do you think about Florida's ability to cover tight ends so far this year?
13: You know, I think so far, so good. Uh, you know, Keichel didn't, uh, you know, uh, didn't play uh, in the, uh, or Keithy, excuse me, did not play in the Utah game, and McNeese really didn't have a tight end to speak of, so. It's kind of hard to gauge at this point, but right now, you know, you've got Jaden Hill at the star position, who's typically a cornerback, um, and he's been, you know, dealing with that a lot. And, and Hill was the guy that had two interceptions last year, including one return for a touchdown. Um, so he's kind of the primary guy, and I, I think they do have some more athletic linebackers and coverage, too. you got a guy like Manny Nunnery that you can bring in, uh, who's a fast linebacker who can take that. So. That, that'll be an interesting matchup to see because, like I said, with Keithy not playing uh, in that Utah game, they haven't really seen a quality tight end yet. So it's kind of hard to gauge for two weeks of the season. But, I mean, those are the guys that you'll see covering them.
9: What's the main concern from your perspective? Like, here our main concern is, and it's pretty simple because we're simpletons, but Tennessee's <laughs> got to get better quarterback play. And Joe Milton, quite frankly, was a little dreadful uh, the other day. What, what do you think Florida's concern is, main concern, Kev, coming into this one?
13: Well, I think the tempo, right? You know, you can't get, let let them get on a roll offensively. And I think Josh Heupel's play calling, obviously he showed that last year in the game in Neyland. Um, in, in you know, in terms of that, you know, just making sure that the defense is is on point and can get off the field, and, and so far they've been pretty good with that. And then, as I mentioned before, the offensive line, you know, can you protect Mertz? Can you keep them upright? Can you, um, you know, get, you know, take care of the ball, execute a little better in the red zone is going to be a key. Special teams, you know, they, they had another kind of botched snap on the extra point. I mean, it's a little thing, but I mean, if you take a look at the special teams and I wrote this column last week coming off the Utah game, I think it's been five of the last six games they've had some kind of goof on special teams, uh, you know, that have been, and some have been, you know, more costly than others. Um, you know, I go back to the Vandy game. I mean, that muff punt by Jason Marshall uh, gave Vandy life and, and, you know, got that win. They had a blocked punt in the Vegas Bowl against, uh, you know, uh, Oregon State. You know, obviously that really bad penalty with the two number threes on the field against Utah was a big momentum penalty. Um, Kai Kroger threw a touchdown pass against them. So special teams is another area too where, they're just not quite on point there. And I don't know if it's, the you know, the fact that they don't have a, a special teams coach on the field, right, they have an analyst, or if it's just, you know, playing a lot of young guys there and not having the depth. But the, there's something to the special teams, uh, you know, thing here at Florida that has some fans concerned and grumbling. And, um, listen, Urban Myers used special teams as a weapon here 10 years ago. I mean, it was really crisp and it, it, it's, it's a way you can win games and right now for florida it's definitely
9: a weakness that's really surprising too when you think about billy napier and how solid of a coach he is and the reputation he has that he would basically seed a third of the game because uh, uh you know you can either go forward or backwards with your special teams and tennessee's been a little uneven thus far as well but uh that's surprising from a from a napier squad that you would think would want to do the little things well isn't it yeah, and, you know, it's amazing. You look back Napier's
13: one of Napier's biggest wins at Louisiana when they upset Iowa State, they had a punt return and a kickoff return for a touchdown that game. So it's not like that system didn't work at Louisiana, but for some reason it hasn't translated here at this level in terms of, you know, not having a guy on the field. And and what happens is I think a lot of times is they say it's kind of like a by-committee approach. And um, when we asked Napier about it before the big D states it, you know about the the penalty on the field the two threes he said oh it has nothing to do with our processes but it looks pretty bad when you know i think in that game also they had eight guys lined up on a field goal attempt that was missed it was a long field goal but you only have eight guys on the field it kind of shows that there's a little bit of a communication breakdown there on the sidelines in terms of you know not having guys organized for those kind of changes and and that you know Florida fans have picked up on it, and they're definitely not happy about it. And and you wonder going forward if, you know, maybe next year they rethink the configuration of the staff and and finally get, you know, at least a position coach dedicated to special teams on the field so that you could be a little more organized.
9: Really strange. And that that can't go well, the whole having the two number threes. It made them kind of a laughing stock a little bit, the two number threes team. I think, Kev. Very seldom do you see that, two guys with the same number on a field at the same time. Well,
13: what's amazing is, uh, you know, Eugene Wilson was wearing number 21 all through training camp, and Napier rewarded him because he had such a great camp by giving him number three. So it was kind of like a last-minute number change for him, and who knows, maybe they were were not worried about it all camp because they were wearing different numbers all camp.
9: What a – Sometimes what goes on in modern college football. Matt Dixon, jump back in here. Kevin Brockway joining us.
8: Yeah, well, just, just kind of going off this stuff and all these, these little bitty detail things that Napier's reputation is that he's really good at that. Um, it almost feels like from an outsider's perspective that Napier has too much on his plate on, on game days. Um, and I guess how, how involved is he with the offense and the play calling like in game?
13: Yeah, he is the play caller. And listen, that's been a concern too. And we, we went back, going all the way back to SEC media days when all these other coaches were seeding the play calling. I mean, we asked him flat out about that and he admitted, hey, look, it's something we have to evaluate, but for now I feel like I can do it. And, and he is doing it. And you have basically, you know, as a result, you have two offensive line coaches. So you put more emphasis on the offensive line, uh, in regards to that and, and the development of the offensive line and, Maybe it'll pan out in the long run and, you know, offensive line was a strength last season. It certainly was a weakness in the Utah game. It looked like it came around a little bit in the McNeese game, but, uh, yeah, it, it, people have brought that up, whether, you know, Napier has too much on his plate to this point. His response has always been, Hey, look, this is how we did it in Louisiana at work. So we're going to do it here. Um, but, uh, there, there is a difference between, you know, coaching the Sun Belt and coaching the SEC. And I think Billy is learning that as he's going
9: kind of play caller is he, Kevin, in your, in your opinion?
13: I, mean, I think he's um, a little conservative. I, his, his thing is establishing the run. Um, but if Keen's show in the box, um, you know, he, he talked about, hey, some games you're going to run it more than you're going to throw it. Some games you're going to throw it more than you run it, depending on the looks that he gets. It's a lot of uh, read option. It's a lot of, uh, you know, obviously they, they go out of the shotgun and uh you know kind of like a take what your defense gives you maybe a little conservative but ideally he wants to establish a run work off play action and then get the big strike downfield i think that's that's his ideal vision of an offense um but it it hasn't quite materialized yet i think what he likes about graham mertz is that he's a very cerebral quarterback and he kind of thinks the same way you know billy napier thinks and so far, you know, the results have shown in terms of the, the accuracy in the, you know, in, in the throw game. I mean, 75% is, is pretty darn good. Um, but, uh, they haven't quite had the big plays, only two touchdown passes and, uh, you know, uh, you know, one being the big strike against McNeese State and, and the other being in, in the Utah game and, and one interception. And, you know, w- when you get into the red zone sometimes, uh, it can be a little dicey. And, uh, so, some of the Florida fans are a little upset at, You know, they do throw kind of a lot of, uh, you know, kind of like wide receiver screens, and they want to see the ball thrown downfield more. But, uh, you know, Billy Napier is a guy that, uh, you know, uh, isn't going to bring back memories of Steve Spurder necessarily in that way.
9: Kevin Brockway, do you have any questions for us on the way out regarding the Vols as you prepare uh, your week of coverage? Uh, We are certainly here for you, my man.
13: (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm just curious about how fans are receiving Joe Milton so far. You know, I remember the Joe Milton in Michigan that threw three interceptions against Indiana in twenty twenty. So I know he's a guy that can be up and down. I, I see almost like a lot of Anthony Richardson and Joe Milton in terms of, you know, this incredible athletic ability but a guy that can be inaccurate throwing at times and, you know, get into those punks. I mean, is that a pretty accurate assessment?
9: Yeah, I think so. The thing about Josh Heupel's offense I looked this up last night. Milton has not thrown an interception since he's been here. Now, he's had a turnover. He turned it over in the Pittsburgh game, fumbled a ball, but he hasn't, and, and really hasn't been close to throwing interceptions. The problem has been his inability to hit open receivers, and that's an issue. The Kev, the, the thing that's really interesting about our fan base when it comes to Joe Milton is that in an era where people transfer at the drop of a dime when it's not going their way, Joe Milton sat there for two years after losing his job and gained a reputation around our town as a really good young guy who would cook meals for his teammates, apparently makes mean spaghetti, um, and, and, and would host... His teammates became best friends with Hendon Hooker, to the point where Kev last year, when Hendon Hooker got hurt, um, he was on the sidelines in the driving rain, down there in in on a cold rainy night in, in uh, Nashville, cheering, and the first guy out to meet and greet his teammate and his best friend. So really unique relationship that Joe Milton has to the Tennessee fan base to the point where people are really, really cheering for him. However, this game, in my opinion, could change that, could change his relationship with the fan base because we all know these SEC gigs are about producing, whether you're a quarterback or head coach or wherever you are. But to this point, fans have been pretty patient with him pretty understanding with him, pretty long-suffering toward him. Um, I will tell you, though, that I've heard internally that Tennessee's wide receivers are already grumbling a little bit because they're not putting up the numbers through a couple of weeks that they thought they would. And we all know that wide receivers are mercurial, uh, diva-ish people, if you will. (laughs) And especially when they see the class before them, and the understanding is that when I play in a Josh Heupel offense as a wide receiver, I'm going to put up video game numbers. And that just hasn't come to pass through a couple of games. So I'm starting to hear that there's a little bit of that. And we were talking about that players-only meeting. And I wonder I wonder how much of that relates to the players-only meeting, uh, the fact that some of those guys on offense are already looking at the, looking at their numbers and going, oh, geez, this isn't happening here. And, you know, some of that trying to quell some of that stuff behind the scenes. Are, are there any other questions we can help you with? The other one is the, the Cooper Mays injury that you may ask about. and What's the status of Tennessee's starting center? Yesterday, Josh Heupel had an interesting press conference because all these guys today, and as long as you don't have a commissioner, they're not going to give you injuries. So I don't know how, how uh, Billy Napier is with that stuff, but Josh Heupel's from the school of you could literally – be be, um, be carried off the field at practice on a stretcher, okay, in an ambulance, and they're going to list you day to day on his campus. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. About Mays, Mays had a procedure in the middle of the summer um, that was first thought to be kind of minor. I believe it's a little more extensive than what they've let on. And he's told people that he's out till October, However, Heipel is, the other day, uh, yesterday, said he's going to play Saturday. They dressed him out. You know, they do that game where they dress these guys yes. out. And, and again, when you follow this stuff, you learn that dressing somebody out. I remember a, a friend of mine, we were going back and forth this last night. Tennessee had a game where, where Worley was severely injured several years ago. And, and, Matt, who was the head coach that made him uh, put his uniform on? And it was painful for him to put his uniform on. Cause he had like a shoulder issue. Matt, who was the head coach back then? That'd be Butch Jones.
8: Butch Jones Early couldn't couldn't lift his arm like above his shoulder. See, that's true. The
10: same the same guy that had Kendrick in there with a concussion. Well, interesting. So
9: uh, as Brian chimes in there, but this is the stuff we do in, in college football. So he's on the sidelines the other day. Um, in the same press conference yesterday, Heipel said. And you ought to look this up, would Be a good note for you. He said he's he's when he plays Saturday he's going to play blah blah blah. And then somebody asked a question because nobody believes these coaches in the press corps. And somebody said, well, if he plays Saturday, and 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 Heupel follows up the, the the answers that question with, well, well, if he plays, he's going to. And then he gave his answer. So it's either one or the other. He's going to play, or if he plays, um, the long and short of that one is is that. Most people b- will believe when they see it that he plays center Saturday night. Most people here will because yeah. they've been preparing with Dane Davis at center so they could get Ali Lane back to left guard. That they, they think that gives them their best chance in this game.
13: We have we have learned, you know, over the years that uh, sometimes coaches will give you partial information but not full information when it comes to that. That's uh, right.
9: And you have to learn to kind of parse those words and go, oh, okay, well, his status is we're just going to wait to see. Okay
13: yeah yeah well at the end of camp when uh jack miller lost his job to uh graham mertz uh he was uh, i think uh you know working out on the side and everybody said that uh you know the people the sids were trying to tell me that it was basically uh a uh we would call it uh not that big of a deal he was only going to be out a week and i did some investigating digging and found out that uh his shoulder was really screwed up and he hasn't uh you know put on a uniform since and uh I don't think you'll see him as a backup quarterback for uh, UF for the rest of the season. So Max Brown is the second guy behind Mertz. So if something happens to Mertz, you're going to have a quarterback with very little to any experience. Uh, I think he played a quarter last week. He gets these State. My uh, own. uh So that's that's uh, the quarterback situation is really thin. They've got, really got to keep Mertz out to the off.
9: So if they put if they get Mertz out of that game Saturday, they're going to get a guy that uh, it's going to be going a million miles an hour for him.
13: Yeah, exactly.
9: Kev, you're the man. Anything okay. else for us, as I greatly appreciate you, and I hope you have uh, have a great week, my man.
13: Yeah, well, just uh, let's hope that uh, the Jets can get a veteran quarterback because I'm not 100% sold on that Hey, listen,
9: Carson Wentz is sitting there waiting for the phone call, my man.
13: <laughs> Why not Wentz or Matty Ice, Matt Ryan? I'll take either one of them at this point.
9: Yes, and maybe Eric Gaines. you know.
13: Yeah, get him
9: out of retirement. Have a Dwight Gooden. Thank you, my <laughs> man. Right, Good talking Eddie. to you. Kevin Brockway, one more time, peering on the TLD Logistics Hotline online, tldlogistics.com. Well, Matt, we got a lot of information out of him, and we shared some with him. Do you think my answer on the Joe Milton deal, which I'm sure he'll use in, in, a, in a notes deal for some background, you've done that job um, in, in your writing career, I, I think that was a fair answer, wasn't it? I Did I uh, – portray that properly in your opinion? What do you think, Dixon? Is Matt there? What do you think? Are you uh, muted, unmuted? Let's go back to the phones. I want to thank uh, Kevin Brockway for appearing on the TLD Logistics Hotline online at tldlogistics.com. And I do want to say a personal note. Um, Annette Shim Peters it was great seeing you yesterday thanks for including me in the festivities uh, yesterday over Beaverbrook Country Club That is a that was an I- interesting memory we had last night we have a, a a little deal up at the blog today and this might be the way the year goes I was talking to somebody last night Tennessee does not want to go to Nico right now now could they do it at mid yeah They could do that at midseason, I think. I think they could. They don't want to do that right now, though. They don't. And I don't think most of our fans want to see a quarterback change. I think most of our fans are really rooting that Joe Milton can hang in there and have a good, solid year. I don't get a lot of... uh, do you, Brian, do you get the sense that most of our fans what? are like, I'm sick of this guy, and, I mean, he just doesn't draw. Now, now, if you could enter and lose I don't it already,
10: think... maybe it changes. What happens if they go down and he doesn't play great, but they get the win?
9: Stay as quarterback. Stay as quarterback, stay as quarterback. I think that's, that isn't it's, off the table. Uh, that's, that's probably what's going to happen. Actually, not only is that not off the table, if you were a betting man, you would bet he goes down, plays an uneven game, and they figure out a way to beat a team that's devoid of talent, which well, has been the series I think, here. I
10: don't think he throws more, for more than maybe 150 to 200 yards.
9: Right in their running game is what, what wins the game. I for them, is totally, what I, think. I totally feel that. Although Matt Dixon's right. Maybe they go down there and they scheme some stuff up that turns that safety around and they hit a couple big plays like Utah did. And the numbers are skewed. Hey, I'm up for that as well. Ice will gather with a win. And my belief is if they get out of there with a win, whether he plays well or not, he'll keep his job. They lose that game and he looks bad, all bets are off at that point. And I think that's a fair and honest assessment of this thing. Let's go to the phones. We got some people hanging on for a while. It's TLD logistics onlinetldlogistics.com dot Let's get our first call in. Hello and welcome. You're live on the show.
12: Hey guys, it's Pauly one.
9: Of record. What's up, Pauly? How
12: we How we doing? What's up, Pauly? I'm very concerned. Um, I, I give you this analogy. I feel like I'm 23 again, and I'm I got an hour wait to get into the nightclub because I think we're getting close to entering the club again.
9: Do you, Matt? Do you feel like we could be going into the club here? I don't think um, Josh Heupel will ever let Tennessee fans go into the club. No, again,
8: Matt. that's no, no, not at all. I, no. I think that's very unfair. Um, your quarterback can struggle, but I, again, we've talked. We just talked about it. The biggest thing that I think you have going for him is your, your quarterback's not going to get you beat and make and yeah. catastrophic turnovers, and that's what that's what put us in the club more times than anything right. else. And that's just that hasn't happened under Heupel
9: part of the club part of the club experience was seeing a guy go to the line and seven guys are getting ready to rush and he would never change protection and just get absolutely turn his back to a group of uh, rushers and just get blasted from behind and that's the very essence of the club and I, I just I, I find that to be a really unfair comment you just made
12: well what scares me and what I see that compares me to this is there's a reason why he's not throwing interceptions. What is it? Because he's getting the ball in his check down to the the back outside on both. Should be the last option, but that's all he wants. He's getting that ball, and he's already knowing that he's throwing it out there. He just doesn't – he's not seeing the routes. You have to anticipate where the receivers will be open. And it just seems like the minute he gets the ball – He looks, and if it's not immediately there, he's going to the back. And guess what? That's what the defenses want him to do because they're almost begging him to throw it to the back, and then four guys come up and tackle the guy.
9: Is he being fair to Joe Milton right now, or is he treating him like Rick Barnes, in your humble opinion, uh, Matt Dixon?
8: Well, I mean, they have been checking down a whole lot. You know, Part of what I'm writing about, for tomorrow is, is how many catches the running backs have compared to last year but I, 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 I don't think we know if that's by like if that is that what he's been asked to do these first two games right or is that just what he's checking down to on his own after after the snap I think that's the question I'm, I'm not sure we have the answer to yet I, I do think the defenses are playing a lot you know a lot deeper coverages which leads to a lot of that underneath stuff being wide open.
12: Because they, they want to take away the one play, two play scores. Yep. Because when it comes down to it, they know he needs to, if he's going to, you know, dink and dunk, he's got to throw seven seven eight nine ten completed passes to get down the field. They're, that's what they're asking him to do because they don't think he can do it. Now, I got, I got killed the last two or three months and I was saying that we lost four NFL players on offense and the quarterback coming in is not as good as the one we had. So there was going to be a drop off. And I think that that's been the hardest thing, Is ever, you know. I mean, I heard on another show that the reason he didn't play well is because they, he didn't run through the tee. Now, come on. You think Josh Hype saying that? Oh, the reason we. I know. Uh, well.
9: Josh Hype, after that game, was as mad about that quarterback play as we've seen him since he's been here. And I think Matt's right. I don't think Josh Heupel's a guy that's going to put up with pedestrian quarterback play. He's just not. And, and I mean, I, 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 yeah. At
12: some point, when it comes down to it, and we're a nail-biter, when we play better teams, he's not going to be able to beat people throwing it to the halfbacks on you, both
9: sides the whole time. The, we'll see. I think you're right. I mean, you do have to throw the ball downfield in the Southeastern Conference to be successful. And thank you, Poldy. Let's get one more in here, and then we'll get our time out. Hello and welcome in. What's up, boys? Hey, Bean Joe. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Tony. Tony, I got something real quick and uh, that i got
14: to get off my chest, and I didn't want to soil the Friday show with it, so I figured I'd call and soil the one that Matt's on instead of the one that I'm on. Uh, and I, I, tried to, I tried to mention this yesterday in a kind way, and you brought it back up today, so I'm going to say it a little bit more bluntly. I've got concerns about Joe Milton, but if our wide receivers are truly out there moaning and groaning, they need to shut the hell up. They need to catch the football, they need to stop holding on the perimeter, and they need to stop fumbling. And once they do that and they get their own house in order, then they can bitch about somebody else's performance. Until then,
9: shut your damn pie hole and play football. Thank you, Bino. It's off Do you feel better? Beano hung it up, Dixon. Beano came in hot on your time and hung it up, Dixon.
8: Very impressive. I like it. On your. wanted to get
9: that off. On your. There's a lot of of truth to it. All lines are jammed. Yeah, when you're having a players only meeting after two games, you know there's a lot of that going on behind the scenes after that.
2: Imagine
6: all
4: the hits
12: you love in one collection. Live it up with favorites like, I won! Did you hear me? I won! Or the timeless treasure, I just won $5,000! And who can forget the all-time classic, Look who's going on vacation! Get your hands on the cash-loaded Hit Instant Games collection at your nearest Tennessee Lottery retailer and let the good times roll. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly.
1: Make it a Happy New Year! Become the Powerball First Millionaire of the Year, announced live on Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve with Ryan Seacrest. Enter to win a VIP trip for two to New York that will include a three-night stay at a luxurious Times Square hotel, a chance at a million dollars, and more. Enter any Powerball ticket at tnviprewards.com by October 31st. From the Tennessee Lottery, game-changing fun. Please play responsibly.
6: This is Jack Cobb with Murray County Public Schools and the Big Yellow School Bus. You're listening to Front Porch Radio on 101.7 WKOM in Columbia, Tennessee.
9: Tony B, back with you. You know, some people are wondering, and I want to bring us up, and then we'll go back to the phones. But some people are wondering about Alex Golish and his leaving. You know, he's been by Hypal's side for many, many years. You know, what kind of impact that's had or having or... Uh you know <sighs> have you guys seen the numbers on Alex Golish through two games? Through two games. South Florida is averaging one hundred plays per game on offense. That's insane. Insane, okay? I mean, to the old heads, I write, that's like Loyola Marymount back in the day with Paul Westhead out there. They're attempting 69 passes per game through two games. Now, they're 1-1 one one on the year, and they play Alabama in Tampa on Saturday, so they kind of host them in the Buck Stadium. 3.30 that Eastern time, that game's on ABC. The line is 32 for the game. Matt, what about that how fast Alex Golish is going? Is Matt there? What happened to Matt? What, where's, what's Matt doing to me today? It's like optional here. Let's go back to the phone. Sorry, I'm, sorry, yeah, I, you I'm having
8: ahead. trouble with the me button. So. Go ahead. No, I, it's really interesting. Um you know, I think Brown brought it up during the break. How much is Tennessee missing Dolish? Because I I think there might be some some situational stuff there that that maybe he had a good eye on that that maybe just kind of aided or helped Heiple in a lot of a lot of key areas.
9: Total plays for Tennessee offensively so far. Just thought we'd share this with you because you would think the Vols' numbers are way off last year. Tennessee's run 150 offensive plays through two games. They, the same time last year, had run 158 offensive plays. And of course, last season, the Pittsburgh game went into overtime. Tennessee's currently 15th in America in tempo. Last year, they were 23rd in America on the entire season. That's a very odd stat, but it's true. It does not match the eye test. It does not match what we think we're living in. Um, Matt, I, I wouldn't have believed that if you'd have told me that without looking at the numbers.
8: No, and I just, some of those can be kind of skewed. Like, there were so many games last year that Tennessee had won, you know, early in the third quarter where I'm not sure they went with the breakneck tempo, like, for four quarters, and that might affect that some. But um, it it is interesting. I I wouldn't have have thought that because I actually think They've been going uh, looking to the sidelines and slowing things down a lot
10: more this year. And from you the, know, from part the, of it might be the incomplete. The more there's more incomplete passes, so the clock doesn't run, from allowing the, for more
9: plays. That's an interesting thought. From the sport of college football, people are wondering about the clock rules. This is overall. This is every game now. Okay. Um, teams are averaging sixty-six point one yards per play per game, last year the number was 70 on the dot. So, eight plays are out of a football game. One other thing I want to enter into the conversation, we spent the whole offseason, you got to talk about something in the offseason, but this Texas-San Antonio team through two games, is they are not good. Uh, offensively, they... If I would have told you before the year that UConn might end up being a better team than this Texas San Antonio team, you never would have believed it. They play Army, who we believe are a live dog against them. Um, the Roadrunners have been absolutely terrible on offense. And Frank Harris, who they spent seven figures on to keep there, they formed their own collective full of some rich people in San Antonio. And I guess everybody kicked in a hundred grand or whatever. Who knows? But he has been having a rather tough time playing behind an offensive line where, to this point, blocking has been optional. Their Houston game, I mean, they couldn't do anything on offense. Texas San Antonio is 120th in total offensive of EPA. They're 117th in passing. And, and they proved something in college football, which is, again, we repeat this on here, which makes the sport so interesting. Just when you think you have the answers, it'll change the questions on you. And one other thing to enter into the public domain here, Matt Dixon could to you. I was giving you some love yesterday, even though you can't get the mute button to work. But I was giving you some love yesterday. You called the Alabama thing. They're going to lose three games this year, Matt. I don't know if we're going to be one of them, because I don't know what we're going to do offensively. But they don't have playmakers, Matt. You talk about the receipts or what Dion talks about. The receipts are coming due for them.
8: Yeah, and they have two brand-new coordinators who, I mean, they definitely downgraded on offensive coordinator um, with Tommy Reese. And then, I mean, Ke- Ke- if you thought Kevin Steele was going to fix their, their secondary problems, you know, I mean, more power to you. So, no, they. I think they just – they're just – limited in what and how they can beat you i think they have to be a a run heavy you know have a lead kind of like florida where they have to have a lead and and have a power run game and then their their passing game is kind of play action off of that and you know it it felt like they got away from the running game some against texas and i mean they Jalen murrell proved it like that guy's not going to be a drop back quarterback that's going to beat anybody that's that's really good
9: Back to the phones, we go. Boy, I could just envision it now if Tennessee could drag them into this kind of game. Get up a couple scores early and force that guy to make plays on you. Or bring that white turkey Reese guy in there and force him to make plays on you. Can't you see it now? Can't you just feel yourself watching that game? Can't you just see it? Can't you just see the look on those faces? those wiped-out faces down there with yuck on their mouth. Yuck. Can't you just see it? Can't you just picture that? Let's go back to our phones. Next call. Welcome in. Hello, you're on the air.
14: Tony B., what's going on? It's Rod and
9: Clarkson. What's up, brother?
14: Hey, Tony, I got a... a, a a nuggy, like you like to say. Hit it, Ronnie. Uh, your boy and my boy, Dan Harrison, called me yesterday. You know Dan Harrison. Mm-hmm. He told me that he wrote an article, I think last week Tuesday, about that Austin P game. And I don't know if you knew this, but there was a offensive an analyst or offensive analyst uh, analyst on. Uh, Hypo's old UCF team that was with him, that was on Austin Peace team. Boom. That would be a good reason why they kind of knew what we were trying to do or what we wanted to do. That could give them an advantage.
9: Kryptonite. This guy has kryptonite. the kryptonite on Superman, Matt. Take away the deep shots in the middle of the field. Matt, do you buy it? because Dan Harrelson does do deep dives on these coaching staffs. Matt Dixon, are you buying what Dan Harrelson allegedly is selling? Not that I'm going to say Rod Clarksville's lying to me, but we have to put this in here. Are you buying what he's allegedly selling, Matt Dixon?
8: Oh, yeah, it, it, may, it makes a ton of sense, and I'm I'm never going to question Dan Harrelson when it's some coaching tree and, and yes. coaching, you know, the connect the dots there. So, no, I, and I think that would be, you know, Kind of a good sign for Tennessee's sake, and that you had a, you know, because like, Tennessee obviously had a very, very basic game plan. They didn't do a whole lot, um, and when you, if the other team kind of knows what you're doing, that can make that really effective to shut down. Especially when your quarterback's inaccurate and, and your receivers aren't making great catches. So, um, but there's probably a lot, a lot of truth in that. That's a, that's a really good nugget. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up.
9: Rod. Does Danger Dan Rod, Rod still think that Tennessee's uh, tracking for 11-1, or is he a little uh, worried right now?
14: Oh, he's not worried at all. Not worried at all. He's not.
9: He's not worried.
14: And neither am I. I- I'm just trying to be low-key about it. You know, I'm oh, kind of yeah. like you. Oh, yeah. I want you to, you know, prove it to me, and, I- and I'll shut up. But I love what, you know, before I took this call, you know, the last call that – Vino came in and yeah. gave his little punch. Yep. That hit me, Tony. That hit me hard. It hit me hard. <laughs> it's very true, but it hit me hard. But I got two more uh, yep. two more little nuggies. Uh, yep. One, I got to give a shout-out to my boy, Scott Staples, who lives in Nashville. He's the one who turned me on to your show about three years ago, Tony. Hey,
9: Scott, hey, Scott. God bless you, brother, for spreading the word, because I'm going to tell you yeah. something. Rod in Clarksville. is a a great uh, uh, nutty uncle in the Basilio (laughs) Radio family. So thank you, Scott. (laughs) I appreciate
14: that, Tony. The last thing uh, I I want you guys to know, you know, I know we always talk about Nico and we're trying to keep it under the table and, you know, let him come in next year. I understand all that. But, guys, please trust and believe me that nobody thought Trevor Lawrence was going to do what he did as a freshman. All we've got to do is give this board an opportunity. You and said it, him. I didn't.
9: I mean, I, I hate to say that, but that's the truth, because you never know what a guy's going to do. I, when I looked at the Trevor Lawrence thing, I could not believe him. Again, the blog is great today, because we did a deep dive into Trevor Lawrence and, Kel, and uh, Kelly Bryant. And you know, Kelly Bryant at the time uh, had led his team to the playoffs the year before. It was unprecedented when they decided to bench him. He he was such an accomplished quarterback, and he was 4-0 on the year. Now, granted, Clemson has the luxury of playing in a league where you can ramp a freshman up. But Trevor Lawrence, after they installed him week five, had 30 touchdowns and four interceptions and led Clemson to a national title. And I'm trying to look for examples of these really great freshman quarterbacks supplanting planning veteran quarterbacks and matt is that a good one or a bad one is that a good example or a bad example because this kid we have has similar type fanfare to trevor lawrence go ahead matt
8: no i I think it's a really good comparison because you have the the highly ranked recruit um a guy with you know five star you know all the the potential in the world so i i do think that that's a, a pretty good comparison now you you made the a really good point of, of talking about how – and Clemson was loaded that year, too. I mean, they had, they had a national championship roster at, and, at every spot, and they had the luxury of an ACC schedule. So they could ease him into it a little bit more than, than Tennessee potentially could with, with Nico if it came to that. But, no, I, I think that's a very valid comparison.
9: One of my sources last night, Rod, asked me – we were talking about this, and he got me going on it because he was talking about some of the chatter, you know, in the program – and, and, and he said, I wonder if internally the belief is we have a playoff caliber team here if we, would, if we would move off Milton quicker, if it came to that, versus the concept of, well, you know, we have a 9-3 team anyway. You're not fighting for a playoff spot. Let the freshmen kind of grow and don't throw them into the deep end of the pool just yet. And I think there's a part of that here in this as well. Why they want Milton to succeed? Um, because I think the thought is this: is a bridge year till we get to the twelve-team playoff, and let's not get throw the kid out there till he's ready.
14: You have a great point, Tony. And I'm thinking that like, you know, just like Casey Clawson when he went in as a freshman going down to Florida, yep. who was the quarterback before Casey Clawson? You know, took over. It was.
9: Johnson uh um, it was um AJ Suggs, jo- Joey Matthews So Matthews year. Matthews and Sock Joe a- a- Joey Matthews and AJ Sock that's right and, and, wouldn't, and wouldn't they great people
14: I mean just like Joe Milton he's a great person that that's fine to be a great person but we need someone that's going to do what attack
9: Well it'll it'll play out man I mean look I don't think I'm with being I I just don't see a guy here in Josh Heupel who's not going to put up numbers. I just don't see it. He's not going to oh, tolerate that. Yeah, He's just not going to tolerate <laughs> it. He loves his numbers, man. And and they're like, uh, we dug it up today. I mean, they're like 96 in, in, in expected uh, passing or some crazy number like that. I mean, they're, the Vols are eighty. 81 in passing in america just raw numbers but when you adjust it back for who you've played which is what that epa number it's expected points added which is a i think an interesting number that i'm going to start following it's what the gambling markets follow my winners and losers guys have kind of taught me this matt likes when i get my hands on these on these numbers because i'm dangerous but what it does is it adjusts for who you've just played on your schedule and while Tennessee is 81st in passing yards in America, they're actually more like 97th in passing EPA when you adjust that out. And that ain't good. That, that's not what Josh – Josh Heupel is not going to sit there and let his number be that in a month. He's just not. There, there will be a different quarterback in the game if they're still hovering around that number. There's no question in my mind. Tony, you know I love
14: you the best I love all of y'all. I love you, Matt, and Brian. But I have to say this last point, if you don't mind real quick. If I was six foot four and 230 pounds like Tim Tebow was, like Cam Newton was, I'd be running over people. Go boss.
9: Thank you. But the, the deal with Joe Milton is you cannot make somebody something they're not. I mean, we, we knew early on he's not a contact guy. That's a fair assessment of him, right, Matt? I mean, he's not a guy that's going to. I don't blame him. I don't want to get hit either. No, he had.
8: I think he had that nice stiff arm um, against Virginia, but for the most part, no. And, and I mean, in his defense, you don't want your quarterback taking a whole lot of contact. That's right. Um, but with his size, he should he should be a, a more physical runner or a bigger running threat than he is, which makes what Napier said that. He's a, more of a running threat than Hinden Hooker. Um, what he said yesterday, I found that really strange because I don't really think that that's accurate. But
9: no, that's coach speak, know. Matt. That's not Napier doesn't believe that in a million years. Okay, behind the scenes, but they're looking for a way to compliment him and you know put that out there and plant that out there. There's no way Billy Napier believes that. No way.
8: No I, way wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. That. Which made it a, a strange thing to to say.
9: Nobody listening to us believes that. So you've got Gullish down there at South Florida running 100 plays per game. You've got Tennessee, when they're on right, uh, running an offense that's phenomenal and fun to watch. And you've got the Florida Gators looking like uh, the old, um, uh, the guy we used to call Chung. Used to wear the Connie Chung headphones. What was his name? Um, The guy that used to coach at Auburn, Brian, what was his name? Oh, God. Um... The fo- the son of uh, uh, Bowden, Gene Shizik, Bowden, the Bowden guy. When the Bowden said, oh, Bowden, Bowden yeah. said, Auburn fans. This is back in the day. They want to run the football because they want an agrarian. They come from an agrarian society, which that was kind of met with a thud. Florida fans are bad, boring right now. They don't want to be bad, boring. Billy Napier so far a year and a couple games into his tenure, is putting people to sleep. That's what he's doing. And Tennessee needs to put them to sleep this weekend. I don't care how it happens. It is there. It is there. And the history says that Tennessee will win the game. When Tennessee's ranked, they're unranked. Tennessee's 5-0 and in that series, two wins in Gainesville. Is that right, Bri? That's the Yes, number. that's right. That's the number. So, And I give Milton credit. Look, people are trying to project and make him something. He doesn't turn the ball over. And you can get out of this game with a win with him playing average to below average uh, quarterback as long as you don't turn the ball over. As long as you don't do and give him a short – like Utah. Utah gave them an, a nine-yard touchdown. Cannot turn a ball over at your own nine-yard line or 11-yard line. And that was the lone score for Florida. And that was the difference in the game. It's how they won the game.
10: You know, uh, I'm uh almost kind of glad they got some losses out of the way against Austin P. and against Virginia so they can be clean against Florida, maybe. I mean, Florida, outside of that, did
9: nothing in the second half offensively, is my point. Now, they still lost the game, but they were in the game for that reason. And you don't, as a Tennessee player, don't turn a ball over. If you walk out of there with a goose egg and turnovers this weekend, you've got an excellent chance of winning that game. Probably 7-10, really, if you stop and think about it. Graham Mertz going to beat anybody? I mean, watch him go out and throw for 500 yards, like Matt said, against our secondary. We'll have a couple big busts, like uh, like we're selling, celebrating Butch Jones Appreciation Day. Let's go back to our phones. By the way, Matt and Brian, i got something to tell you at the break about that Uh um, that butchie boy remind me and, go so ahead. When go ahead. You get,
8: i guess in the third hour can you go over that epa stuff and and kind of give us the details of what that what that means and and how to apply it to games can maybe in the third hour
9: are you trying to crack on me
8: i'm just i'm just asking i'm sure there's some listeners who'd like to know
9: <laughs> you do you guys understand the epa though right because i was taken under wings on this EPA.
8: Yeah, I, I know what it is. It's, it's, it's a little above my head. Do you like I, it? I think it's, very, it's, it's valid when you understand it.
9: Well, what basically what it does is there's a rating, like what your number is, but the number doesn't take into account who you've played. What EPA does is it adjusts it for who you just played. So if you played two Crip teams defensively, but your numbers are great on offense— it adjusted according to who you've played. And the computer model says that everybody, based on whatever the number is that they've determined, uh, whatever the average is in college football, uh, it gives a more holistic and probably a better vision on both sides of the football of what you have as a football team. And it is, that EPA stuff is the stuff that, like my Zen people, they tell me. They use that stuff. That's that's baked into how we arrive at lines. That EPA thing is, some of this stuff is hocus-pocus, like pro football, hocus-focus-pocus. You read that site who told me that Gitmo was the number three quarterback in the SEC. That stuff's hocus-focus-pocus. This is real. That EPA stuff, I, I find to be real, fair and valid. Hello and welcome into our next call. Hello, Tony. There he is. I'll tell you. Matt, his phone, his phone's cutting in and out, Matt, after. Matt, what is more on brand? What happened last night in the Big Apple? Or the fact that Titans Bill three words into his calls experiencing technical issues? Matt, what's more on brand for you?
8: Well, they, they were both heavy favorites to happen,
9: so it's, it's kind of hard to, in, interesting. to pickle. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Bill, are you there? Because we were having trouble hearing yes, you. Yes,
11: yes, yes, I'm
9: here, Tony. All right, my man. Now I was surprised that we didn't hear from you yesterday, after our Titans went down to defeat in a hard fought football game with the Saints.
11: I tried, I tried and, tried, and tried to get a hold of you. Oh. And I also tried to get a hold of you on your on your cell phone. But I, but I, you know, oh, you I didn't mean out. you mean I
9: haven't answered personal phone calls. <laughs> well I I tried Well that no yesterday. I'm just saying I've had a very busy couple of days here football season man I forgot I was thinking about this today The warp speed with which football comes at you when you're doing what I'm doing is highly warp speed man it really is it is highly highly warp speed
11: You know I'll t- I'll tell you what I was listening to Mike Keith on another on another uh, talk show. Yep,
9: and what did Mike Keith say?
11: He said, it wasn't much that New Orleans beat them. The Titans beat themselves. And he put it plain and simple. If the one thing that drives a head coach crazy and gives him sleepless nights is what? Penalties, fumbles, interceptions. Yep. Tight Tanny Hill looked like crap last Sunday.
9: Buddy of mine, who's a big NFL—I don't know—I guess you call him a player. He's really into it, loves it. Can tell you everything about the league inside and out. And he swears he's cooked. He thinks Tanny Hill's cooked. Um, I was talking his, to his EPA's yeah. really bad. <laughs> Just getting absolutely roasted by Matt Dixon.
11: Well, I'm not. I'm. Well, I believe he'll rebound.
9: Yeah, he thinks he's cooked, food. Bill. I don't know. I hope he's not. You know me, because yeah. when when the, it's either the Philadelphia Eagles for me or the Titans, you know that.
11: Yeah. Well, look your eagles only beat the patriots by
9: five points bill you guys lost to the saints i would kind of leave it at that and looked bad well, boring to it. the titans look like a no offense you know i was watching a.j brown go over the middle the other day and make a catch in traffic to really help the eagles kind of solidify their win and i was thinking to myself self could you imagine being an organization that would just give him away And the answer is no. I couldn't imagine being that organization. Because that truly is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I'll tell you what
11: I believe the Jets ought to do. Yes. Maybe work out a trade with the Titans and make them an offer they can't refuse. And what do
9: you want to give them?
11: I want to give give him Will Levis for a pair of draft choices.
9: Okay, I would give you two ninth round picks for him. How about you, Bry? For Will Levis, what would you give, Bry? A ninth and a tenth round? What would you give, Bry? Uh, probably not a whole lot. Maybe, throw, know, in, maybe throw in maybe throw in a cup of coffee Tony, with some mayonnaise. How about a cup of coffee with some mayonnaise in it as well? Two yeah. ninth. Two ninth round picks and a cup of coffee with mayonnaise. Will's—I mean, you want to throw Malik Willis into the deal as well, Bill? I mean, they're—they're they're trying to no. find a solution, Bill, not—not not problems. No, no, keep Will, keep Willis.
11: Get rid of, get rid of Levis.
9: Bill, what is your current read on how many wins for the Titans this year after Week One? We can't overreact to Week One in the NFL. I'm a believer. I'm not, I'm
14: not,
11: yeah, here's
9: my, getting... here's my thing on the NFL. Here's my thing on the NFL when teams don't play their regulars in preseason games and the game looks as choppy as it looks, it's hard for me to take your product seriously till about four weeks into the season because you see things that are just absolute anomalies. For instance, the, the Giants game the other night, have you guys seen this graphic uh, for all the things that happened in that New York Giants game the other day? It You could take... A roll of quarters and stack them to the moon. uh, Versus what happened? No team has ever lost forty to nothing or worse. Lost the sack battle seven nothing or worse. Lost the turnover battle three by three zero or worse. Had a blocked field goal return for a touchdown and threw a pick six in the same season. The Giants did it all in one game the other night, Bill. They just flat out tore their kingdom down. <laughs> <laughs> it's just—I <laughs> mean,
11: I pop, I pop for that.
9: I pop for that every time you say it, Bill. I pop for it, man. I'm sorry, I pop for it. It's—it—it's it, it's just simple. I—I mean, I mean, I, uh,
11: I watched a few quarters of that game, yes. and I said, I- I'm, "Enough is enough." so i turned it over to hulu and watched hill street blues
9: bill yes hum me in honor of your quarterback who can't hum the tater anymore hum me a few bars of the hill street blues theme
11: <laughs>
9: Dixon, if you're passing through town right now and you happen to have it on that dial, what are you saying to yourself? I mean, what would the reply be?
8: I don't know. And I'd, I'd be really disappointed because it's part of week,
10: too.
9: I know, right? Let's get our next call in. Hello and welcome into our next call. You should have had
10: him do the, the tomahawk chop.
9: I was thinking about it, but my Phillies play the Braves this week, and we're like 15 games back, and it's highly depressing. Hello and welcome into our next call
14: hey tony is this me
9: it is you go right ahead
14: all right this is
12: Blaze from chattanooga it's my first time calling oh man it's hey, a real tony. honor
9: brother you gave me my lovely wife love these many years love chattanooga
14: love it too i'd hate to follow tom's bill on my first try but i'll have a go at it
9: well i'm not um, going to get I'm, you to I'm, how many really bad theme songs so go right ahead <laughs> you're you're among friends here my man
14: all right
12: i just wanted to ask what happened to our first quarter offense from the past couple of years i know
9: Past two years, we've had, you know, yep. been up 28 7 after the first quarter of some of these SEC games. I believe we were plus seven against Virginia and tied against Austin P
12: after the first quarter. So I'm just wondering why we aren't starting out as strong this, this year.
9: I will turn that over to Matt Dixon. Matt, you have a theory of what's going on?
8: Uh, no and i, I think they're actually better in 21 than they were last year in the first quarter at least offensively uh, i just i just think teams are, are, are defending them differently and it's at least you know this the opening series and they're they're making them kind of dink and dunk down the field and not giving up any big plays and you know this team just had kind of struggled do, to to do that to this point so i i don't know it, it is an interesting thing to think about because i mean his first year we i mean we were scoring on everybody on that opening possession um and and we did it a lot last year too but it I, I just think the offense as a whole is just nowhere near as good as it was last year
9: this year the first couple series have been basically three and outish if i'm not mistaken again small sample size uh we can't overreact Matt told me off the air, and he's preparing this piece for tomorrow over at tclub.team. Matt's stuff is really in-depth. But he was saying, Matt, you were saying that this guy's offense the first month of the year has been kind of slow starting. They've they've had to kind of ramp it up, right? I'm not going to put words in your mouth. Go ahead. You elaborate.
8: Yeah, I, well, I just don't I, know if I'm. I gonna just think they well, hang, hang with me, three, time, three, Hang with me. Go ahead, games to, to figure out their personnel, how to best use it, what's working, what's yeah. not. Um, you know, it was that Missouri game two years ago, uh, kind of in the second half of the Florida game last year was when they kind of took off. So uh, you know, we'll we'll see. This weekend will be very telling. Um, but I think I think that Saturday was just the third time under Hypo that Tennessee didn't score a first quarter touchdown.
9: You know, to your point, my, my friend in Chattanooga, somebody's going to confuse somebody Saturday. Tennessee's either going to turn their kids around on defense and and do some great stuff, or Joe Milton's going to have smoke coming out of his ears as we struggle to move the ball. Uh, I could see either scenario occurring as well.
7: Yeah, it's just hard to tell if we're just spoiled
9: from the past couple of years of just putting oh, 50 a game and yeah. blowing everybody out, That's right. you know, the
7: cupcakes at least, but... Um, So, yeah, I'm just curious on what y'all thought. I appreciate it.
9: Thank you. All summer long, I was warning people that were saying this team is better than last year's team. There's no way in hell this team is better than last year's team. No way. You can wish it. You can hope it. But it doesn't make it so. You cannot lose that many people to the NFL. A guy that started a tackle the other day to the NFL, a guy that, played his uh, role at quarterback better than anybody that we've seen here, Maybe, maybe ever, in this hooker guy, and tell me, a guy that won your first ever Blitnikoff award, a guy that was going to win your first ever Blitnikoff award, and sit there and tell me this team was going to be better. There is no way that was ever going to happen. And I don't care if they take off from here. That still isn't going to happen. That thing last year and what these guys did was absolutely special. And to think it was going to just occur again, I mean, look, I want to win at Florida. They, they were beating people with style. They went to LSU last year and destroyed them like they weren't even there. You think this team's going to do that? This team couldn't do that in five tries. I mean, you got to get real about it. Look, my number coming into the year was nine and three. My number remains nine and three, based on what I've seen. Now, am I a little surprised the quarterback play is not better. Yes, I. Or the passing game is not better. Yes, I am. That's the only thing that's really kind of surprising to me through the first couple of games. Is it's not more like to mat like my, what matches. It's not more vertical, and it's not more. Um, well, it's just not more fun to watch. It's just, it hasn't been fun to watch at all, actually. We'll go back to the phones. I want to hear from you. 865-200-5402. We continue with more on your Tuesday edition after this.
4: This is Big Lou Maddox, and you're listening to the best radio in southern middle Tennessee. WKOM 101.7 FM, Columbia
7: Hey, this is Trip Stoltz, owner and manager of Columbia Ace Hardware. Come see us Saturday, September 9th, and let your first cookout be on us. With the purchase of any grill, you will receive an Omaha Steaks voucher for 12 steak burgers and 12 beef franks free. We also will have hamburgers for the first 100 customers between 11 and 2 until we run out. Come see us Saturday, September 9th at 112, East James Campbell Boulevard, Columbia, Tennessee. This is the
10: with the helpful hardware phone.
3: You'll have to see it to believe it. Whoever said that must have been talking about Talladega. It's a place where chaos mixes with speed. And a playoffs weekend becomes a lifetime of memories. It's a tradition like no other, at a track like no other. And after it's all over, you still won't believe it ever happened. NASCAR playoffs weekend at Talladega, September 30th through October 1st. Get your tickets now at talladegasuperspeedway.com. Jim Ross, and you are listening to Front Porch Radio,
2: WKOM 101.7, located in Columbia,
9: Tennessee. TB, back with you, 865-200-5402. Rather interesting conversation occurring off the air. Those of you that um, consume us on Twitter spaces, got a a snootful there. So, kudos to you for getting a snootful. I'm going to go back to our phones. You can follow us on Twitter Spaces. You click on, uh, I would turn, if I were you, I'd turn my notifications on. So when we go live, like I've been doing uh, halftime huddles during the halftime of Tennessee games. And we've been visiting with several hundred people during our halftimes, which, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, sometimes every once in a while we'll break in with something. So i turn my notifications on if I were you. If you want to see the thing visually, what we do here, make the switch to Twitch. Check out our Twitch. We also have an Instagram. We're uh, rewarding people. Last week, a couple folks won gift cards to Alumni Hall from there uh, for being there. Um, and throughout the year, we'll give things away over there. So several different ways to find the show. Of course, you can find us at tclub.team every day. Matt Dixon. Uh, is preparing a full report for tomorrow there. So, tclub.team, and I would encourage you to bookmark that. We've got some really interesting stuff up there today, and I, I guess I wrote most of it. And then Brian Hartman came behind with a really interesting report on since Tennessee's last win in Gainesville in 2003, Florida has lost how many times, Brian, on that field? This is astounding to
10: me. Twenty-six times to twelve different programs on that field, Matt. Why is that they astounding? Gone in there and gotten wins, Matt. Why is that astounding
9: that they've lost twenty-six games on their home field to twelve different programs? That's astounding to me. That's well, they, they've
8: certainly they've fallen off after the post-Meyer years, and you know, they've you know they're they're only elite uh, to Tennessee apparently. They they catch Tennessee early in the year where they still have a lot of momentum and you know they ha- haven't been been beaten up through a, a league schedule that I think some teams you know take advantage of later. But Tennessee just plays awful against them for whatever reason.
9: This is our talking points, so you get a look see when you open that up in the morning. You look see of what we're going to discuss on the air. It kind of keeps you better in tune with the show and. Tennessee's program and the Southeastern Conference. We, we try to mix it up, and college football nuggets that are there as well. Brian Hartman says that since Tennessee last won there in 2003, 20 years exactly, LSU has won there six times. That's insane. Florida State has won there five times.
10: Tennessee's Alabama, won there only five times all time, and LSU's won there six times in 20 years. My My Roan! It seems like that LSU-Florida series is weird. The, the home team doesn't do well in that series for whatever reason.
9: Alabama's won there twice. Ole Miss has won there twice. 2003-2008. Ole Miss. They beat Urban Meyer there. What in the world? beat the national title team. I mean, that's what the in the world? Title. Oh, that's right. That's when uh, That's when uh, Smoochy Smoochie. With Urban Meyer, when they used to rub noses like Eskimos, do Eskimos really rub noses, Brian, or is that just a thing that we came up with?
10: I can't speak to that at all, Tone.
9: <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm just asking you. You're a fan of the Edmonton Elks, formerly the Eskimos. South Carolina has won there twice. That's insane. Kentucky's won there twice, Brian. That can't be true. Yeah. I- that can't be true. They
10: won there.
9: That can't be true. Missouri's won there twice, Brian. Vanderbilt's won there. Yeah, that's right. Vanderbilt did win there. Was that James Franklin's last Typer
8: year? was probably the O.C. for one of those Missouri wins.
9: Interesting. They won 2014-2018. Was he there 2018,
8: Matt? No, I think that was his first year at UCF. Boom.
9: Boom. Boom. They were still running his offense, though. Was that when Precious was their O.C.? Uh, yeah, that was when, I guess that was when Dooley was their O.C. <laughs> Wearing <laughs> those the uh, aviator sunglasses That's... in the dark. Rhymes with LaRouche. Uh, Vanderbilt. Texas A&M. By the way, Matt, I know you think I'm the king of bad takes, and maybe I am. But my take on Texas A and M down through the years is spot on. You know it's spot on, right? I don't get many things right. I got that right, Matt. Yeah, it's definitely spot on. They suck. They are the biggest popcorn flatulence football program in the history of mankind. How do they get the attention they get? I mean, they buy low. Georgia Southern won there, Brian. 2013,
10: yes. What in the world? As, before they were FBS, they were in they were an FCS team when they won there.
9: Brian, I want you for tomorrow's blog to go back and look at how many teams have won in Neyland Stadium since 2003. I want to compare that. Oh, <laughs> what would you say, Matt? The number is Florida's lost 26 times to 12 different programs in their stadium. How many losses do you think we've incurred since 2003, Matt? What do you think the number is? In in Neyland? Yeah, off top of your head. They've lost 26 times. That's a lot of losses in your own stadium. Uh, I'd say Tennessee's is at least 40. Yeah. I can't believe Florida's lost 26 times. I'm sorry. They haven't played in an SEC championship
10: game since when, Bri? 2009, I think. Well, no. They lost to uh, No, they made it. Mullen, did it. Mullen made it, too. I think in 2020. And they made to COVID it. Isn't that incredible? Well, I some, don't count that. You guys don't count COVID.
9: No, I don't count 2020. You count it, Matt?
8: I mean, everybody de- dealt with the same stuff when they played a season. I count it.
9: But that's when the Braves won their World Series. No, that's when the Dodgers won. I there. know. I love triggering Braves fans with that. I had Big Josh. Big Josh's his voice went up seven octaves on me that day, uh, Brian. Let's go back to the he goes, hey man. He goes, get your facts straight. Get your facts uh-huh. straight, man. I was like, hey, dude. This, you know, this is this has always been verbal in my in my. This is not physical, man. This is you know. All right, let's go back to the phones. Brian Hartman with an excellent job over there uh, on the blog today. As I get uh, back to our phone lines, a TLD Logistics Overdrive Overtime, no doubt, coming up. Hello and welcome into our next call. Hey, Tony, this is Nathan,
7: first time caller. Hey, Nathan, great to talk to you. It's an honor. Uh, Hey, I just got a couple comments just to kind of see what you got to say about them. Um, You know, I think a lot of people in this fan base are either overly optimistic or overly pessimistic. I've consider myself a realist uh so when you're looking at like what defenses have done to tennessee this year it's been a lot of like drop seven drop eight on first down yes it has uh and the problem is is if you look at hypo's offenses you know most of your big shots are on first down they're on first down and third down which are typically you know historically the downs that you're going to blitz on uh, and instead of blitzing, you're seeing Virginia did it, and Austin Peay did it even more. You know, teams dropping eight guys. Well, the only logical conclusion when if you're Joe Milton and you're like, we're going to take a shot right here because they're going to blitz, and then they don't, and they everybody's backpedaling, is to go crap. I got to throw my check down because you got two high safeties covering the middle of the field. Yes. So you're not going to throw it into double coverage because he's a guy that you know takes care of the football. So um, I think people are – I'm not saying Joe Milton's as good as Henning Hooker because I don't think he is. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, Henning Hooker was a Heisman candidate. You know, every quarterback ain't going to be a Heisman candidate that comes through here. See, and, I just uh, thought
9: that conversation about Joe Milton being a first-round pick and the Heisman Trophy guy in the off season, and there are people like that do radio shows that were saying that kind of stuff out loud – Look, I, I love, and I want everybody to kind of you know do what they're doing, do do what you say what you want to say. That's embarrassing to say something like that into a microphone, and and it does it does these guys a disservice. But Matt, how about his observation though, that teams are essentially taking the first round deep pat, first down deep pass away from Tennessee thus far. That's an interesting observation because that is what's happening.
8: No, yeah, you have a, a very light box. I mean, there's been. a countless run plays we've had where we have offensive linemen in the second and third level yeah. still looking for somebody to block because there's just nobody near the line of scrimmage.
9: And if our backs were better, we would have busted some really long runs in that Virginia game. Uh, I hate to point that out, but the running game was pretty good in that game. It could have been great. The numbers could have been great. And, and to your point about Milton, I'll take a quarterback that make mistakes every day versus a guy that's going to get me beat in, at Florida – turning the ball over four times i I do not want that this weekend if you if you throw zero interceptions that's a credit to him this weekend if he swallows balls
7: yeah and and one more thing tony i'll say you know i don't think florida can score 30 points on tennessee's defense
9: no no you got to keep that game in front of you
7: you're exactly right exactly and so even if tennessee goes down there and has a game, not like Austin P but just kind of a mediocre offensive day. Yep. And doesn't turn the ball over. Yes. You're going. You're going to come out of there with a win. It may not be super high flying, 2022 Alabama yes type win, but you're going to come out of there with a 34 to 20 win. You know, because they're not going to score 30 points.
9: I find what you're saying to be right on the money, man. And my, look, my number was nine and three coming into the year. And if this team goes 9 and 3 in my humble opinion that's a good season for them.
10: Yeah, and I mean uh, and I would even